sharing from David and Goliath. Um, I feel a bit shortchanged though. I got two tall readings to do uh, in one talk. So I'm going to have to talk really quick if we're going to get that bouncy castle up, uh, Daniel. And um, yeah, the children won't thank me if we don't, will they? So um, shall I pray and then we'll open God's word together. Um, Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak. And we pray that you'll give us ears and hearts to listen. Amen. So, um, we're going to open uh, 1 Samuel 17. So if you've got a Bible or a Bible on your phone, um, it's quite a long chapter. And again, the bouncy castle. So I'm going to read the start and the end. Um, It's quite a familiar story. Um, So here we go. Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Soccer in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephesdamin between Soccer and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped at the valley of Ella and drew up their battle lines to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armour of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and let him come down to me. If he's able to fight and win and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistine's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And we'll skip on to verse uh, 41. This is after David has come to fight Goliath. I'll go from verse 40 actually, sorry. Then he took his staff, that's David, in his hand and chose five smooth stones from the stream. Put them in his pouch of his shepherd's bag and with his sling in his hand approached the Philistine. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with the sword and the spear and the javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all of you into our hands. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Reaching out into his bag and taking out a stone, he slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Well, um... I'm sure you can fill in the middle. Um, it's a story that everyone knows. Um, even in the world where people don't go to church, it's a story that everyone knows. 
We talk about giant killings in football. Or if you Google it, you can even find um, small business lessons uh, from David and Goliath. So, you know, Goliath will be Amazon and then this little, uh, you know, I don't know what, little startup would be, be David. Everyone knows what this story is about. And it's so familiar, isn't it? But it's almost too familiar because the shock of the passage just passes us by. You see, it passed me by until I, I took time to, to pause and to read it. It's such a surreal story. Um, I don't know if you know who uh, this guy is. I'm sure you don't. R- yeah, it, it's, it's Robert Wadlow. And he was the tallest man to live on, you know, on record. And there's a picture of him next to some guy. Don't ask me who that guy is. Um, sorry. Um, but it puts it in perspective. The guy on the right is probably the same height as you and me. And that's Robert Wadlow. And he was almost as tall as Goliath. He's, um, is he 8 foot 11? Goliath was about 9 foot. So when you look at this, um, it's, it's a surreal scene, isn't it? Because you've got this giant of a man... Um, just over the top in size and and there's Robert he looks quite gangly doesn't he he's not not got much meat on him but Goliath was a man who uh his armor weighed about the same as that kind of tire one of those massive truck tires and that was the armor he had on him plus his helmet and shield and all that kind of thing he was just over the top and and sadly at the moment aren't we we're we're too familiar with with scenes of, of war but we see that this is a battle where there's no fighting going on. When David turns up in the middle with, with food for his brothers, he's like the delivery guy kind of coming with a pat lunch. And, and he turns up and there's, there's a keeper of the baggage. So he, he turns up almost like at a nightclub and you put your coat in the, on the way in. You know, I'll leave that and get it later. That's the, the scene. It's so stagnant. And it just doesn't make sense, does it? This is a battle. And for 40 days, they're just kind of sat there waiting with nothing happening. And on, on these 40 days, each time, each day, Goliath comes out and he says, anyone dare fight me? And everyone goes, no, not me. As you would when you look at someone, not like a tire. Um, but, but it's unsurprising that no one wants to fight him. But it sets the scene to show the failure of, of King Saul. Because Saul was, was the king who'd been, been chosen. God's people had said, Do you know, we want to be like everyone else. We want a king. And, and it's really ironic because Samuel, the, the, the prophet, says, you want a king? Do you know what he'll do? He'll take your daughters to serve him to make his food and his, his perfume. He'll take your sons to be in his army. He'll take you, your land and your animals to feed him. And he'll take your money to pay for it all. So you're going to, he's going to be take, 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 and you'll be give, give, give. And they go, no, 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 we want a king who will, get this, fight our battles for us. So here it is. There's a battle that's not between two armies. There's two armies there, but the battle is going to be between two people. So who should fight? King Saul. And what does he do? He does the same as everyone else. Goliath comes out and says, who's going to fight me? And it it says in verse 22. um, Is it 22? No, it's slightly earlier than that. Sorry, 24, I think, actually. Yeah, whenever the Israelites saw the man, they all fled from him in great fear. Saul included. So here's this champion of the Philistines, Goliath, and Saul is meant to be the champion of God's people, and he's as scared as the next man. And, and this sets the scene for David. This nobody, this delivery 
uh, Deliveroo boy, the youngest of all his brothers. Um, he has been anointed as king by Samuel, but he's still a bit of a nobody from a nowhere town, and he comes bringing the food. And as you'd expect, there's the action ahead, so he tries to get as close to the front as he can. And while he's there, Goliath comes out, and he does his whole pantomime scene, you know, who's going to fight me? And everyone turns in fear, except David. But what David does is he says, what's going to happen to the person who fights him? And and what's really interesting is, up to this point, there's been no mention of God. They're the Israelites, they're not God's people in this, they're just the Israelites. There's been no mention of the Lord's name until David comes. And everyone flees and he says, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? See, David sees that the battle isn't just a battle between two armies or two people, but it's the Lord's battle. And I, honestly, I can't get my head around this, but Saul, go, Saul gets wind of David turning up going, oh, do you know what, I'll fight him. And he thinks it's a good idea to say, yeah, go for it. I mean, he's, he's some nobody who's turned up and Saul is that afraid that he goes, yeah, you, you can fight. I'm going to put the whole kingdom in your hands, basically. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. But he does. And he says, okay, have some armor. You know, I'll give you my armor. And we all know that David says, no, 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 I I can't fight in that. He he picks up some sticks and some stones and literally with sticks and stones goes to fight Goliath. And it's important, isn't it? We we pause and we look and say, what can we learn from David's example? And it's not really lessons for small businesses that we can learn, is it? Because David says the battle is the Lord's. And we, we look and we say, okay, where do we see the giants in our life and how do we fight them? That's often the application that we make, but I don't know about you, I haven't seen a nine-foot giant trying to attack me any time recently. Um, but maybe the giants that we face are more subtle because what David does is he says, God's honor and God's name is at stake here, so I'm going to act. And it's almost as if he says, do you know what? I'm going to throw myself into harm's way and into danger because I know that God is going to act in this. God is concerned for his reputation, so I am safe fighting Goliath. I'm not in danger because I'm on God's side. I'm joining with what God wants to do. I'm acting for his honor. And for us, maybe there's there's more subtle ways, and actually they're probably more dangerous, aren't they, when it's subtle? Because... For us, it can be difficult to put our faith into action. And maybe it's, it's three ways where do we think that God is our provider? We might be able to say he is, but we, we think really we, we need to provide for ourselves. We don't trust that we can give generously because God provides. Maybe we wonder that um, we know that, that God provides our satisfaction. You know, God says that... Um, Jesus promises life and life to the full for those who trust him. But we go, well, I'm, I'm not so sure. I don't find satisfaction in, in church, as I should, or in reading God's word. So I need to do it myself. I'll find other ways to be happy. And I'll, I'll kind of turn up and do what I should do at church or, or read my Bibles because I should, not because I find joy in it. Or maybe it's our reputation that we don't, we know that we should tell people about Jesus, but we don't because we just look foolish and we're too you know, we're bothered about our reputation and we need to protect it. And we don't trust that God's view of us is the only one that matters. So there maybe there are ways that we can look at David and how he acted and, and apply it to our lives. 
And we do love a good challenge when we open the Bible, don't we? We like to see something that we need to go and do because it feels like we're, we're learning and we're, yeah, we're getting something to get on with. But the thing is, the Bible isn't just about good advice for how to live. It's not um, top tips for small businesses kind of translated into a religious kind of way. Because let's be honest, as, as good as it is to see David in his example, it's not going to change us because Goliath was still Goliath. And the challenges that we face are still the challenges that we face. And we're still the same people, scared and worried. What's going to change? And I think when we read the Bible, we need to see it almost like two tracks running parallel when we read it. And there's one track of, of looking at the, the examples, the application. What does this actually mean for my life? But as you know, no train can run on, on a single track. They need two. And as we read the Bible, we we can't just read it looking for examples to follow. We need to see that there's there's a salvation on offer. You see, the Israelite army were were there and they were terrified. They didn't act. Every time Goliath came out, they, they literally turned and fled. It must have been comical really, wasn't it? There's one guy and a huge army and they literally run away from him. Um, but that's often what we can be like, isn't it? And the thing is, verse 24, 24, the Israelites turned and fled. After David won, in, in verse um, 50, no, let's go for 50. 52, the, after David won, the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and the gates of Ekron. See, what, what happened was they were fearful, a cowering at the start. After David won, they were literally a proper army charging and, and gaining the victory. What had changed? Was it that they, they didn't know how to fight and David fought and they were, oh, that's how I do it. Now, now I can go and do it. No, they, they knew what they were doing. They knew how to fight a battle. They were just terrified and they couldn't actually go and, go and do it. They were paralyzed with fear. Now what had changed was that the battle had actually been won. This whole battle was to be fought by two people, not by two armies, two people. And when David fought Goliath and won, the victory was won for the whole army. Everyone won because David won. David won the victory for them. And what was left for them to do was not to go and win it themselves all over again, but to drive away a defeated army, to take what David had won for them. So often we think the Christian life um, is all about what we do. That we get up each morning and we have to face the Goliaths and we have to stare them down and and sling some stones and be agile and quick and and all that. But it couldn't be further from the truth that is is shown in 1 Samuel 17. The Christian life is not a battle between all of us and facing down the devil. No, the Christian life is a battle between two. Satan versus Jesus. And we all know who won that battle. It's not a battle that we win daily, but it's a battle that's been won already by Jesus. And we literally go and mop up the spoils of his victory. He's won. Because Jesus came as an unlikely champion, just a nobody from a little backwater town called Bethlehem. Who took on the supernatural giant of an enemy, the devil. That we all cowered in fear at. And he didn't do it on to the hilt in the latest military hardware, but he did it in the most surprising ways on a cross. And so nothing we do today can change the result of that battle. 
It's been won. It's not there for us to win because Jesus has won it already. And so we live our life in the knowledge that the victory has been won. And when it's hard in our day-to-day life, we don't look to ourselves to, to do better. We look to Jesus, our champion, who's won the battle. Amen.